Happy Christmas. Happy Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. To well, all you out there. Yeah. So hopefully anyone's even listening today since it's Christmas Day. I know, you better. <laughs> We're going to be checking. Bitch, you better. Just kidding. We probably won't. Yeah. We, we probably will. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely will. Yeah. <laughs> it would be a very nice Christmas gift if we see at least 10 people listen. Ooh, that would be nice. On Christmas. Yes. But yeah. So I'm Bren. I'm Kelsey. And welcome to Crime Colts and Coffee. Welcome back. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking, well, we're going to start with our review. Again, we're going to be reviewing a Square Cafe coffee today. Woohoo! And shout out to them again. Yeah, shout out Square Cafe. And we're not going to get into all the details about their company and repeat ourselves again for this episode. So if you would like to hear about the coffee they sent us the first time, which was a caffeinated coffee, and all about their business. I think we droned on about them yeah. for at least 10 minutes <laughs> because we love so them. so many things, and they were just amazing about it. So. Yes. Refer back to episode 9 yes. for all that information. That, if you're not familiar, I think we... Yeah, it was Margaret Ellen Fox. That was the episode. Yes. Episode 9. Yep. But just uh, a little review. Their address is 134 South Highland Avenue, Pittsburgh, PA. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area, check out Square Cafe. Yes. They're really good. Yeah, we talked in episode 9 all about how delicious their food is as well as their coffee. So make sure you listen to that to hear all about how amazing their business is. Yes. But today we are reviewing their decaf version that they had sent to us. Which is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'm not par to decaf coffee. I like my coffee caffeinated. Same. So I really haven't drank that much decaf throughout my life. Same. I'm not sure exactly how to compare it to other decafs. Yeah. But... This is us just being honest. (laughs) As far as taste goes, I think it's pretty good. I think so too, especially for a decaf coffee. Like... Yeah. I think anyone who does drink decaf coffee would think this coffee is delicious. Right. Maybe you get heart palpitations if you have caffeinated coffee, (laughs) like a lot of people I know. Or maybe, like, you're just great Aunt Sandy, (laughs) and you drink decaf, and you ask for decaf. Totally fine. Yeah. Just have square cafes decaf. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it's good. I think the caffeinated version was a little bit more full-bodied, and this was... I don't know, I guess a little bit less, if that makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's still really good. It's a good option for people that don't like caffeinated drinks. Definitely. I mean, we just love Square Cafe. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have enough good things to say about them. Yeah. So, you ready to get started? I think there was something else I wanted to add about what it tasted like, but I I lost my train of thought with it. Um, I mentioned it before. Oh, it tastes very fresh. You could tell yes. that the beans are very fresh. They're yeah. not they haven't been They gave us definitely like bags that were made that day. Yeah, they haven't been sitting for like months on no. end on the shelf. They're you and they tell. were ground, which is pretty good to have a bag of fresh coffee, like taste that fresh from ground beans, I feel like. Yeah. So And by didn't... now they sent it to us like a month ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So it has been sitting and it still tastes mm-hmm. that fresh. Yeah. 
Thank yeah. you again, Square Cafe. Yeah, thank you. I love you. Ready? So, yeah, let's... Well, do you have anything to add before we get into it? I don't think so. I think that's that's it. Okay. Let's right. get into it. <laughs> okay. So grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So before we get started, I wanted to add in a little disclaimer. Today's episode can get pretty graphic towards the end. So if you don't have the stomach for that or you just don't want to listen to it, just be wary going into this episode because it can get very graphic. Yep. But we just wanted to throw that out there before we started. So today's episode is another culty one. Woo, woo. And we are covering the Children of Thunder cult. If you have not heard of this, buckle your seatbelts. <laughs> it sound, the name sounds so misleading, though. I know. I thought it was going to be something so different than what it was. What do you think they were gonna have a bunch of kids and like yeah, I thought they were gonna like use kids or something. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Well, everyone, you're in for a wild ride because this crazy. one is insane. So before we start, I'm just going to get into the name behind the name. Basically, how like why the cult chose. leader chose this name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the name is Children of Thunder, as I said, and. It's what this the followers of this cult and the leader called themselves. It was inspired by Jesus calling his two disciples the sons of thunder. This cult believed that the leader is the prophet of God and is leading them for a better world, quote unquote. <laughs> Luckily, the cult was only active from July 2000 to August 2000, so about eight weeks. Thank fucking God. Yeah, because what happens in the, those eight weeks? It's insane. It's horrific. It's literally insane. Yeah. And it's crazy, though, like, you don't hear many cults that are based upon God. Mm-hmm. I feel like most of them are based upon Satan. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's weird that that's where the name came from, and that's, like, kind of the beliefs behind this cult. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into it. I'll, I'll mention yeah. it when we get further in. So, the background of the leader of this cult, and before we start, do we want to go by Glenn or go by Taylor? Because... I feel like I'm going to say Glenn Taylor the whole time. <laughs> okay. So, basically, this man's name was Glenn Helzer, but he went by his middle name of Taylor. Yeah. So... So, if you hear Taylor or Glenn, it's the same person. Yeah, which is why I'm thinking we we should just establish... Let's just do Glenn. Okay, Glenn. Glenn. So, we'll go by... We'll call him Glenn, but he also went by Taylor. Yes. He was born in Lansing, Michigan on July 26, 1970. He was the firstborn, and he was the known favorite of his parents and this that's just awful because like most of the time you hear oh like parents don't have favorites these parents had (laughs) fucking favorites yeah they like and played favorites yeah so his parents name were jerry and karma helzer they were both devout mormons and his mother treated him as a prophet from day one and the whole family then treated him in a special way and it's just really awful because this man as you'll learn throughout this story had severe mental il- mental illness and mental issues and it all stemmed from this basically yeah i mean his mother just fed his mental illness instead of providing him with help yeah she fed into delusions he was having mm-hmm. she fed into from the beginning just pushing him to be this like prophet right Yeah. So, he also had a younger sister, Heather, and a brother, Justin, who you'll also learn is pretty heavily involved in this story. Right. And Glenn was described as handsome, eloquent, and personable. 
and his grandfather and cousins described Glenn as an enthusiastic, kind, and respectful Mormon boy and teenager who was full of life. So up until, like, everything happens... He, he was seems, very well liked. Yeah, he seems like this normal, happy-go-lucky, enthusiastic guy. Right. And it's really odd because I feel like he also was either unaware or able to hide his mental illness very well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't... His mother feeding into it, too, was just making him think that everything that was going on in his head was real. Real. Yeah. Yeah. Which we'll get... We'll get into that, but it's just awful. Yeah. Like, not putting all the blame on his mom, but I feel like things wouldn't have escalated the way they did without her... Right. ...acting the way she did throughout his life. So... Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm like <laughs> a little phlegmy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um, his aunt said her children enjoyed his teachings on respect for nature, and his cousin described him as his mentor throughout his life. So right. he made a bit a big impact on people. Yeah, he dropped out of Nacio Valley High School at age sixteen. And I had heard that this also was approved by his parents because they were basically like, oh, he can do whatever he wants. Like, he's the prophet. He doesn't need school if he doesn't want school. If he wants to turn to his religion more than school, that's fine. Yeah, his mom actually encouraged him to drop out. Yeah. So, there's that. He started hearing voices and his mom reassured him it was the voices of God. Wrong. Wrong answer, Yeah. Yeah. Like, your child is coming to you saying he hears voices, and instead of saying, oh, maybe we should get you, (laughs) bring you to a specialist and see what this really is, she's automatically like, see, you are a prophet. See, you are. God is speaking to you and just feeding that. And the voices were early signs of paranoid schizophrenia for which he never received treatment. Lovely. Yeah. And he then served in the National Guard at age 17 in Texas, and his fellow soldiers introduced him to drinking and premarital sex, so he preached to them because he obviously was against these things with his Mormon beliefs. Right. And this was actually the first group he ever preached to, so that's that's where he started getting into it a bit, I guess, (laughs) just, like, trying to get people to... And he was 17. (laughs) Yeah, to, like, fall into the things he was saying, and... And through that, he also realized that he could make an impact on people because he did change some of these soldiers' minds. And in 1989, he left the National Guard to be a missionary in Brazil. Yeah, so he went on this mission to Brazil, and basically that's when everything took off. That's when he realized that he was making a huge difference in people's lives, or so he thought. So he returned from this Mormon mission in Brazil, and he was 19 at the time, He, but he returned in the year of 1991, and he said things had changed. He converted people and did very well in this mission, according to the Mormon religion. He felt that the Latter-day Saints Church was losing its fight to evil, so he kind of felt that he was above the church at this point. He knew better than them. He was holier than them. Yeah. And they weren't doing things right, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, His views actually started differing from the traditional Mormon beliefs that he grew up on and his family were so adamant on. He felt that he was better than the Latter-day Saints Church, which I said, and he was very determined to defeat Satan. 
just one person himself defeating Satan. <laughs> yeah, seems very logical. Right. So after he returned from the mission uh, in Brazil, he married his wife, her name was Anne, in April of 1993, and they had two daughters together, but eventually separated a couple years later in 1996. I had actually also heard that Anne was his first serious relationship. Oh, really? Yeah. And they got married? And then he ended up marrying her. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. So he was about, like, 20 when he got married, 21 to her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after that, he was married to Anne. He decided to get a job as a stockbroker in San Francisco Bay Area for the Morgan Stanley Dean Witter group until 1998. So he only worked there for a couple years before he started having issues. Mm -hmm. He went on disability after being diagnosed with bipolar disorder. So that's kind of really where his mental illness starts at this point in time. But he... I had also read that um, he, the stockbroker job was kind of just another platform yeah. for him because he was he met a in lot of sales. People. He was able to sell things and he's basically like building on his yeah. ability to speak and convince people of things. Right. And I actually heard too that after a couple years of him working as a stockbroker, he decided to say that he was depressed to his um, boss so he would have leave at home. And so he would have time to work on basically this cult that he was starting. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's just insane that he even was thinking that. He just, he wanted to, like... Right. Well, you'll you'll get into yeah. it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, that, this was actually part of his plan, and he practiced mimicking behaviors of people that were bipolar and had schizophrenia. Meanwhile, he actually was. And yeah. And he probably just thought he was mimicking He's behaviors. He's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> let me look up a YouTube video. <laughs> yeah. What are this? Like, what are the required symptoms? And everyone around him's like, ooh. Yeah. That's, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> no, you haven't really changed much. You've just become a little bit more dynamic. <laughs> so he was actually hospitalized during a psychotic break in 1998, and he actually couldn't handle the group therapy. No big surprise there. So he left his treatment in the hospital. He began smoking, drinking, and then he started cheating on his wife. And this was huge for the Mormon church. Like, this was so against everything that they preached Mm -hmm. about. Meanwhile, he was the prophet. Right. And he was convinced that there was a better life out there for him and that he was doing with, you know, just working, having a wife. It wasn't enough. I had also actually read that he, regarding his wife and the practices that were going against, like, Mormon religion, Mm -hmm. he started getting obsessed with pornography and... Because he's never seen any of it. Yeah, and these weird, like, extreme pornographic things that he wanted to then carry into his own sex life and his wife was like, She got, like, freaked out by it. Yeah, Yeah. which... Yeah, I I mean... mean, Yeah, (laughs) not not knocking anyone's fetishes, but... (laughs) (laughs) But he was taking it to a whole nother level. Yeah, from, like, nothing at all to then being married to then, like... The extreme other way. I don't know. (laughs) Literally the extreme. Yeah. So he started to become more manic and narcissistic as time went on. And I've heard a few people um, that talked about this case say that his narcissistic tendencies actually started coming out around this time. He was... But nobody could tell him no. He was the best there was. And it was just getting worse and worse as time went on. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... I'm surprised that didn't come out 
with well, his family. Yeah, like at a younger age when people yeah. other than his family, because obviously his family probably didn't tell him no because they said he was a prophet right. and he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. But I'm surprised in school or with other kids or something. He wasn't like... Those tendencies weren't showing and yeah. he was very well liked where yeah. if he wanted to do something and someone was like, um, no. Mm-hmm. Like, that's shocking well, to me. Yeah, I mean... Prime time for mental illness, especially for schizophrenia, is like early twenties. So yeah, that's probably what was going on. But he was faking it. <laughs> yeah, so he says he's such a good actor. Yeah, he's an actor and a prophet. The holy, <laughs> the whole package, <laughs> the holy package. <laughs> so he started wearing all black. He kind of stopped showering. He showered a lot less, and he was proc- he was proclaiming himself as a prophet to everybody he knew, which was disgusting. He attended seminars that were actually set up by his mom, which is gross, that taught him how to break people down in order to build them back up again in a quote-unquote better way. And he used them as a tactic when he became a cult leader to control people. She was basically like, son, yeah, let me give you courses on how to start a cult. And she's <laughs> like, but you know, if it works for anything, like, let me know later, you know? <laughs> and it did. Oh my god, I can't. Disgusting. So they were actually called impact trainings and an experimental group experience. These are disgusting. It makes me throw up listening to this stuff. Yeah. Ugh. Especially, I watched a, like, a documentary on it today and, like, the actors did, I mean, it was kind of cheesy, but, like, the actors did a pretty good job during this, like, whole experience and it, like, freaked me out. Well, not to mention that these sorts of things, and wait till you guys hear this, because it's really screwed up, they still go on today. Yeah. This still happens today with certain programs, so... To a much lesser extent, to, like, of what happened in these training sessions, I literally thought of, like, hazing. Like, yeah. Like, bad hazing stories. Really bad. Yeah. Ugh. I, wait, okay, okay, just, uh. So basically what happens is it tears down participants through exploitation, humiliation, and emotional pain. These sessions are very long, um, and they are involved of deprivation designed to awaken the inner child, which is gross. After a person shares their deepest vulnerabilities, the group shouts insults at them. How horrible. The Handmaid's Tale. Literally The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale. They're then sometimes given degrading labels such as quote-unquote dirty slut, and that is the name that they are required to use throughout the entire workshop. I freaking can't. Could you imagine, like, being someone that, like, somehow no, and they're put just in this situation? referring to you as dirty slut. I'd be laughing. <laughs> like, <laughs> like what is this? Am I? Who dragged me here? This is just an awful, I mean... Not to make light of it, but in a way, it's just so extreme that it's, I guess, hard to believe where it's like, what the hell like, is Like, how do this? people get dragged into this? Yeah, and how do you sit long enough to buy into it? I don't know. Because... These went on for days, these ta- <sighs> these um, workshops. They were really degrading and manipulative, obviously. What I actually... Something I also read about the impact trainings, mm-hmm. they would... Examples of things they would do if someone were to be called fat, like a woman were to be called fat during this, or she would to call her were to call herself fat, and that's one of the things she's insecure. Yeah, insecure mm-hmm. about. They would have her dress as a cow. Oh my god. Yeah, or someone might talk about abuse or rape 
my god. And they would basically put the blame on you, like, you're the reason that happened to you. Literally just trying to break you down to nothing. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit more about it, actually. I wrote a little bit more later after we hear about the woman in the situation. Which is just, I mean, that whole thing is just sickening. Yeah. It's disgusting that it actually happened. And like we said, during this time, he was hearing the voices in his head and they were telling him to prepare Christ's imminent return. So he's thinking that he's preparing for the second coming of God and he's the prophet. He's the only one that knows and he just has to do whatever he has to do. He was around 30 years old at the time of the main problems that happened with this cult. So between July and August of 2000. Yeah, and that actually also fed his delusions, his age, because he tied it to... Jesus being 30 years old when he came into his own speaking to the people and giving his his sermons and um like preaching to the people and like we're not knocking on religion at all we're I am so respectful to everybody's religion I don't care what you do I don't care what you worship but when it comes to like hurting other people in the process Mm -hmm. that's when it's an issue yeah and mentally manipulating people and stuff that's just awful so His brother, Justin Helzer, a little bit about him. He was 28 years old around this time. He was a housemate and follower of his brother, Glenn. He was described as shy and introverted, and his role was set as Glenn's follower at a young age. So basically, like, he knew Glenn was the prophet. He he was made to believe Glenn was the prophet, and Glenn could do no wrong. And, like, everything that they were doing was for a greater good, and that, you know the laws didn't apply to them, basically, because he was the prophet. Right. And what Glenn says goes. You mm-hmm. you do what the prophet says. Right. And he was frequently reminded by, <clears throat> by Glenn, quote, I'm number one and you're number two. That's horrible. So he was literally told that him, like, he told him that throughout if his life. If my brother said that to me, I'd be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Shut the fuck up. So bad. I mean... I love you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but I... It's a very weird case because although horrible things end up happening and Justin is involved in these horrible things, part of you feels bad for him because he was also a victim in a way in all this, even though he did horrible things because he was basically brainwashed for the entirety of his life to believe anything his brother told him to do, he had to do. Right. You know. So you wonder, like, this dates back to literally since he was born. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So the beginning of the Children of Thunder. Let's get into that. (sighs) Yeah. So Glenn, a.k.a. Taylor, was excommunicated from the LDS church in 1998 due to drug use. As we mentioned, he got into drugs. They didn't like it. Mm -hmm. And... Justin actually was as well, but not sure when that happened. I don't know. Probably shortly after. Yeah, I'm assuming it was around the same time in 1998 as his brother. And Glenn declared himself a prophet, as we mentioned, and he actually developed a list of maxims he called, quote, the 12 principles of magic, which I wonder what the fuck those were because I could not find them. (laughs) And... The 12 Principles of Magic. Did you think of anything when you read that? Just said magic. No. I thought of the Ministry of Magic for some (laughs) reason. (laughs) I'm like, ooh, Harry Potter. (laughs) Yeah. So, 
he wanted his followers to follow this list. And that was a main request of his. <laughs> and he referred to himself and his followers collectively as the Children of Thunder, as we mentioned. And Glenn Helzer and his brother Justin met Don Godman on Memorial Day 1999. So this is the next girl that they're pulling into this picture. And I just want to point out that before that, Glenn did have a girlfriend who we're going to mention. I, I don't remember her name off the top of my head. I think it was Carrie. Okay. I'm going to mention her a little further down. He had actually tried to pull her into all this mm. before Dawn came along. And thank God she got out of it because she started realizing that shit was weird. Oh, my God. And he had issues and... Good for her. Yeah. I wonder what she's thinking, like, now. Yeah, I know, right? God. Well, he basically... She was really afraid to leave for a while, and she started turning in, turning to drugs and stuff. Oh, no. To kind of block him out mm-hmm. and just get through it. Yeah. And eventually, he one day, just a short, quick, like, quick synopsis, he one day basically said she wasn't of use to him anymore because she was just... Like, not drug- listening to him. Yeah, just... She would just be on drugs in bed, and... He, he basically gave her the out to leave, and she left and never looked back. Oh, my God. You probably changed your fucking name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that happens. Wait her on. leaving happened after Dawn came along, but he tried to pull her in before Dawn came along. So, okay. I just wanted to throw that in there. So, Dawn Goodman, or Godman, I'm sorry. Dawn Godman was 26 years old. She was described as a lonely woman. She was seeking spirituality for a speed habit, a broken marriage, and she had suicidal tendencies. She had tried to commit suicide. Yeah. And Dawn and Justin both believed Glenn was a religious warrior. So... She was, like, the perfect target for him. Yeah. Like, make a checklist of the person you would need to manipulate into joining your cult. And, and it was she, Dawn. <laughs> it's Dawn. It was Dawn Godman. Poor Dawn. Yeah. So they were actually at a murder, murder mystery. I can't talk again today. That's Hold okay. on. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> they were at, <laughs> they were at a murder mystery dinner hosted by a Mormon congregation. Which, okay, what, why, do, what, can, can I go to church where they host a murder mystery dinner? I know. <laughs> like, what? what? <laughs> I know. And, he, as we had mentioned, had been excommunicated from his church, but he would still yeah. randomly go to other churches that... Religiously still. He yeah. He a lot. Yeah. yeah. So, it was hosted at a Mormon temple in Walnut Creek, California, and Don was attracted to Glenn because, quote, he made you feel like you were the most important person in the world. Called, called, called. Yeah. Yeah. That's what my mind would be saying. Like, Red he flags. is grooming her. Yeah. Yeah. So... I had also read that apparently at this murder mystery dinner, no one else was talking to Glenn or Taylor because they were really, like, scruffy looking at that point and... To Glenn or Don? Or to Glenn or... Not Taylor. (laughs) To Glenn or Justin. Oh, Justin. Glenn and Taylor are the same person. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) To Glenn and Justin, no one was talking to them. And then Don saw them, and went up to them and started talking to them. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Glenn first pressured... Uh, oh, yeah, her name was Carrie. Glenn first first pressured Carrie Mendoza, a woman he had dated, to attend the impact trainings, and she basically wasn't having it, as yeah. I mentioned, 
And later he took Dawn to the seminars that were mentioned. Poor Dawn. Yeah. So he basically just dropped her off there and was like, yep, you're doing this. Yeah. Yeah. During these seminars, you couldn't eat, use the bathroom, or sleep. And they were days long of these people trying to break you, as we mentioned. And he knew that Dawn was very impressionable and would be easy to break down and then reconstruct in his image. So that's exactly what he did. Yeah. It broke her. Yeah. I would say so. I mean, she already seemed like a very broken woman to begin with. And then she thought she found this man that was coddling her and telling her all the things she wanted to hear and made her feel safe. And that was just him grooming her. Yeah. So this destroyed her self-confidence when she was at this, like, these, uh... Seminars. And at the end, the instructor told her to either leave or take off her, quote, holy garment, which was essentially, like, her undergarments, Mm -hmm. and she took it off. So, that was her made her, like, get naked in front of them. Yeah. That's horrible. That was her just being brainwashed and falling into it all. That's when... That's when Glenn knew. He's like, I have her. Yeah. That was, like, his last straw. Like, she will do whatever I want her to do now. Yeah. So, at some point, Dawn sat with Glenn in his car outside the Oakland Mormon Temple and listened to his plans for Christ's return. So, he confided in her with these plans that he had. Yeah. And, quote, it made her feel like a child in its parents' arms. Blech. <laughs> I'm throwing up. That's gross. Does a child... <laughs> Usually get rocked in a cult leader's arms. No. <laughs> I hope not. I mean, I really how does not. that feel like you're hearing these weird-ass plans? How does it feel like you're being, like, rocked by a parent or hugged and loved by a parent? I don't fucking know. Maybe she had terrible parents. To I me, know. it looks like I'd be like, wow, I'm listening to a schizophrenic but paranoid, I feel like- <laughs> paranoid man's story right now. <laughs> And I'm nodding my head, pretending to go along with it until I can get the hell out of here. I feel like I might be the exact opposite of Dawn. Like, immediately, I feel like I would have looked at Glenn and been like, nah. (laughs) No, man. He's a cult leader. (laughs) So, in in the year 2000, I went to the (laughs) 2000. Okay, Joe Bros. Sorry. It was 2000. The year 2000. Dawn became Taylor's girlfriend, and they moved into the house on Con- in Concord in California with the brothers, and that was in April. Taylor Helzer, which was Glenn. Taylor and Glenn, same person. <laughs> so confusing. <laughs> and like, pick a fucking name. I know. Maybe, actually, I never thought of this before. Maybe he was Glenn when he was one personality and Taylor when he was another personality. Maybe. He had dissociative identity disorder. Maybe. Maybe. That's weird. Weird. I mean, so, he, I wish he had gotten his Ill- mental illness treated, to How be horrible. Yeah. I mean, this is why people should get their mental health issues dealt with. Yes. If you're, like, having... If you're listening to this podcast and you're having thoughts about starting a cult... <laughs> please phone your please. local psychiatrist. <laughs> get help. <laughs> if your mother is telling you you're a prophet and, you, and you're hearing Don't God's listen words... To her. And you're hearing God's words... Don't listen to your mama. Go to your local psychiatrist. (laughs) If you're making a woman go to an impact thing, 
go to your local press your life alert button yes don't go yes okay oh, jesus so taylor <laughs> also glenn and his two accomplices, which were Justin and Don, came up with the idea. So they basically needed money to get this idea rolling of saving the church and for Christ's second coming. So they came up with all these ideas. Is, I'm sorry. This is really bad. This is the worst fucking idea this I've ever heard of. One. I'm just going to throw this out there. Glenn, your idea was fucking awful. Absolutely terrible. So this was the first idea of how to get enough money to start this um, Christ return. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was so bad. It's not funny. No, it's bad. They tra- Their idea was to train Brazilian orphans to murder the leaders of the Mormon church in order for him to be the new leader. I just Sounds wanted, like, like it really could. Oh, it just dawned on me. I was like, why dawned. Brazilian? Oh my god, dawned. I was like, why Brazilian? And he was That's in where Brazil. Missionary. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So he Helzer planned on taking over the Church of the Jesus Christ. I can't talk. The Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter Day Saints. So that was his first idea to take over. Yeah. Was to hire or to adopt these Brazilian orphans to murder the leaders. I had actually heard in detail he was going to have these orphans mm-hmm. bring them to the US, right? Mm-hmm. Train them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then kidnap Latter day Saints higher ups from the US, bring have them go back to Brazil or something, and Dear God. the kids would force them to write letters that he is the new leader. <laughs> Okay, no wonder this cult fucking lasted eight weeks. <laughs> it was terrible. It was awful. These are horrible ideas. He was so awful. another idea he had was to pick up women at raves, and then he would basically turn them into high-value prostitutes and lure married businessmen in, and then he would blackmail the businessmen for money because they were married, and they obviously didn't want to know, like, their wives to know that they were... With prostitutes. Sounds like another genius that was, plan. That was, I'm not going to lie, a lot better than the Brazilian or- orphans plan. But oh, no, still just, very terrible. He, these were obviously his delusions speaking. Yeah. I agree. Because not only are they awful, <laughs> but they're, they're the funny. most, like... There's like other ways there. to raise money. There's yeah. other th- th- things that make more sense. Well, he wanted to make prostitutes. So, at one of these raves, he met a woman named Selena Bishop, who was 22 years old at the time. And eventually, later down the road, we'll talk about her. But she actually becomes his girlfriend. Poor he girl. felt that she was really impressionable as well. So, he, like, targeted her and picked her out. Which is terrible. He then wanted to start self a self-help group called Transform America. And he said the reasoning behind this was to, quote, transform America by bringing joy, peace, and love. <laughs> and prostitutes, apparently. And Brazilian orphans. And Brazilian orphans. I don't understand this man. Me either. So he wanted to create a utopian paradise on Earth. Oh, my God, I can't. The fund of the church Glenn made and sold ecstasy oh sorry to fund the church glenn maiden sold ecstasy and his girlfriend was to pose for playboy and she was replaced by dawn so that was actually carrie okay and another thing i didn't mention was so he had taken pictures of her of carrie Mm -hmm. sent them into playboy without her knowing to try to make money no with her knowing okay 
But then after the fact, after she left mm-hmm. and got away from him, thank the Lord, she actually ended up booking as, I think, a centerfold model for Playboy. <laughs> and then he was all pissed off saying that he was the one who Wow, she really that. made out. <laughs> right? She got away from this fucking and actually, like, made it into Playboy. That was that was Glenn's one good idea was to send her <laughs> photos to Playboy. <laughs> yeah, but he was then all pissed off, saying that like he was the one who cre- that was his narcissistic tendencies coming in. Mm-hmm. He was the one who got that for her and this and that. But then, yeah, he after she left, he tried doing the same with Ugh. Dawn. I guess gross. Yeah. Where am I at? Where am I at? Okay. So, the Children of Thunder said they needed to raise money, like I said, and they wanted money to defeat Satan, which... Because you need money to to defeat defeat Satan! Satan. (laughs) I'm sure he's scared of, you know, what you're going to do with your money. First... As he throws fucking, like, flames at your face. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, yeah, let me burn your money. First intended victims weren't home, so this was part of the next plan, They decided that they wanted to go to houses of former clients that Glenn had when he was a stockbroker and extort them for their money. So, the first victims that they intended to go to, they weren't home. Yeah, it was an older man. I forget his name. We should have written this down, but Mm -hmm. imagine being that man who, for whatever reason, that night Mm -hmm. was, like, food shopping or out with a friend. Like, imagine. Yeah. So they were like, hmm, we'll just go down to the next list, or to the next person on the list. So they eventually stumbled upon Ivan and Annette Steinman, who, like I said, were former clients of Glenn when he was a stockbroker. And this is so sad. They actually took him in as, like, a son when he was working with them. Like, they were retired at this point, so they hadn't used his, like, um, stockbroker... He didn't, they didn't need him for a stockbroker mm-hmm. anymore, but when they did use him, they, like, took him in like a son, they trusted him, and when they, sh- when he showed up at the door, they were, like, shocked, because they, ha- they hadn't seen him in years, mm-hmm. but they were still like, come on in, and I read somewhere that Annette made him tea. Shut the fuck up, I was just thinking in my head, I bet you Annette made him a <laughs> cup of tea. <laughs> or coffee, I don't remember. Oh, like, Glenn Hollingshead and Sabina and Ursula's Oh my god, I was just thinking, I bet you R. she R. made Glenn. him a cup of tea. Yeah, so they were, like, caught off guard, like, why are you at my door at 8 o'clock at night? But, because it was around 8, 10 p.m. that they got there, but they let him in, and they were, like, talking to him, and he actually got in by saying that he had a new business venture for them that he wanted to talk to them about. And Justin was also with him, right? At this point, it was just Glenn. Okay. And then Justin comes in later. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so July 30th, 2000, that was the day that Glenn decided to launch his master plan. So he contacted... His master plan. Yeah, literally. Not so great, <laughs> okay. but... He contacted a woman named Deborah McClanahan, and she was a member of the Children of Thunder cult, but she was kind of left in the dark with a lot of things. She was not aware of his master plan and what was going to happen. She knew that he was, like, into dealing drugs and selling drugs. Mm-hmm. So she That's thought like that... She thought. Yeah. She thought that this was, like, all about drug deal or something. Mm-hmm. So he basically told her to purchase four tickets to the movie X-Men in order for them to have an alibi for the night. He said, save the tickets, keep them. Like, keep the receipts and yeah, everything. that'll be their, our alibi for the night. Mm. Okay. Terrible. 
I I just don't think Glenn really thought things through. <laughs> well, no. And I think, well, this comes along with his mental illness, clearly. Once he had something in his head and thought that that's what he was supposed to do, that's what he went with, even if there were other things that made more sense. Exactly. Yeah. And it just blows my mind that people actually fed these delusions instead of getting him help. I agree. It's, I don't know. So, the Helzer brothers and Don Godman kidnapped the Simons, which were his former wealthy clients, as you mentioned. He forced them to handcuff each other. Yeah. And then forced them into their minivan to be driven back to the Helzer's home. Yeah. So, like, handcuffed each other in their freaking kitchen. And then he was like... The cutest little... They were like, no. He was like, no, go into your minivan in the garage. And he kidnapped them. So he held the couple captive in a home that the brothers rented, and he told Ivan that he needed the money to flee the country, and if he gave him the money, he and Annette would be freed. Which, I hate, well, I hate murderers in general, but I mm-hmm. hate when they do this. Yeah, when they Because BTK say... did the same fucking thing, and that's just you getting the people to let their guard down. Yeah. Like, okay, I'll do whatever you need. Yeah. Just let me go. Ugh, that makes me sick. Yeah. So, he told Ivan, or I'm sorry, I already said that. They forced the Steinmans to lay on the, a mattress, and, because it's, like, getting later at this point. Mm-hmm. And Glenn wants to finish his plan in the morning. So, they basically are just, like... Stay over. Stay on, yeah, stay on this mattress, handcuffed, mm-hmm. and just, we'll like, deal wait. With it tomorrow. Yeah. And at 6 a.m. the next morning, Dawn and Glenn go to a payphone, and she pretends to be Annette and asks a bank tail a bank to liquidate her assets. Yeah, and they were like, that's a lot of money. And she's like, no, I'm a net. Do it. Mm-hmm. So they said it would take a few hours, and they moved forward with it. And then they woke up with the Simons, and, or they woke up the Simons, and they roofied them in order to, co- quote, keep them calm. And I read that they gave them, like, six roofies each. Yeah, like, they told them that, like, oh, Glenn told them, relax. This is just... You know, to keep you calm while you're staying here uh, with Justin. So Justin doesn't have to do anything to, like, hurt you if you guys try to... Like, they're an old couple. Yeah. Like, I doubt they were going to try to put up that much of a fight. So they then forced the Steinmans to write two checks out to Selena Bishop in the amount of $33,000 and $67,000. And once they received the checks, Justin Helzer ended up beating 85-year-old Ivan to death while Taylor... Well, Glenn, Mm -hmm. Taylor, a.k.a. Glenn, killed his wife, 78-year-old Annette Steinman, by cutting her throat. And then, this is so sickening, they dismembered them in a bathtub. I can't. And I had, without getting into too much detail, I had heard that they actually didn't do that right away. Yeah. They had, like, waited Mm -hmm. a day or so to do that which is like why like what (sighs) horrible yeah and so then glenn had just actually had justin do most of it yeah and he felt the need to meditate and listen to the spirit for a while basically he didn't i feel like he didn't want to he didn't want to do have to deal with it Yeah. yeah so he was like justin you do it i need to meditate yeah 
Gross. And afterwards, they all kneeled, and Glenn thanked Ivan and Annette for sacrificing their lives for a greater cause. Which, they did not sacrifice their lives whatsoever. Those poor people. Makes me sick. So, August 1st, uh, and we're still in the year 2000, Don then goes back, this is still the same day, this is the next morning when they woke up, and after they gave them the roofies, she goes down to the bank and deposits the checks that total $100,000. She's... (laughs) This part is literally... (laughs) The most stupid thing. Yeah, so this was ordered by Glenn. Another one of Glenn's brilliant ideas. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you need to look like a net. So in order to do so, <laughs> you need to go down to the bank in a green jumpsuit with a wig on, a wheelchair. I read a cowboy hat and sunglasses yeah, as well. like a straw hat. <laughs> yeah. And her fucking jumpsuit in one of the it's things like I read, it said it was like lime green. How yeah. could you make her stand out anymore? Well, I read that he said or that bright green. the reason that he had her in the wheelchair was because the bank would not refuse her if, she, if it was a disabled woman in a wheelchair. But why the cowboy hat, sunglasses, and lime green jumpsuit? <laughs> I don't understand that part. <laughs> So he tells her to go down to the bank wearing this disguise and tell the bank that she's depositing the checks on behalf of the Steinmans and that they were written out to Selena Bishop because she's the granddaughter of the Steinmans, which was a total lie. We'll remind you who Selena Bishop is in a little bit. Yeah. But um, Dawn explained to the bank teller that Selena, which she said was the granddaughter of the Steinmans, needed emergency surgery, and that's why they needed this money right now. Yeah, and she which, said, oh, Selena can't be here because she's actually in the hospital right yeah, now. Yeah, which, like, okay, are you really going to show up to the hospital with $100,000 in cash? Like, here, pay for my granddaughter's surgery. I think that Glenn... I, I just... His it plans... Just doesn't make any sense. His plans... Terrible. And, and the fact that Dawn was like, oh my god, this sounds like a really good idea. <laughs> let me go get my library yeah. jumpsuit, jumpsuit. Let me put my cowgirl hat on and hop into this wheelchair and roll down <laughs> to the bank. So the bank teller called her out and she's like, this is sketchy. She said this was way too much money to be deposited and that she would need to speak directly to the Steinmans before the check could be cleared. Thank God for this woman. Well, she actually also asked for their social security cards. Yeah. And unlucky for the the whole situation the steinmans ivan actually carried both of their social security cards in his wallet so they were able to call the bank back with the social security numbers right and don pretended to be a nut again yeah but it was on voicemail so they didn't trust that as being like oh they're okay the steinmans are fine i just talked to them luckily luckily the bank teller was a really smart thank god Cause that, like, it was like, this is not right. That prevented them from who knows what. Yeah. So Don was actually forced to leave the bank without de- depositing the checks. There was nothing else she could do. So she's like, all right, see you later. <laughs> see ya. And just left. Let me roll out of here in my lime green jumpsuit. <laughs> and then walk and put it in my car. <laughs> yeah. So then we're on to August 2nd, 2000, which is the following day. So before we get into this next part, I just want to talk a little bit about Selena Bishop who was Glenn's girlfriend at the time. She was 22 years old, and she was the daughter of well-known American blues and rock and roll musician, guitarist, and songwriter Elvin Bishop. Basically, the Helzer brothers and Don go over and murder 
22-year-old Selena Bishop. And Glenn told Selena that he was going to take her to a camping trip at Yosemite, which is weird because Yosemite is in one of our other cases. Yeah. That hasn't... Well, by now it would have come out, but... And he told her to stay the night at his house, and they would leave in the morning, and he told her he would give her a massage. And I actually heard that at first, Justin, he ordered Justin to kill Selena. Yeah. And Justin had tried to, but the whole time she was, she was like face to face with him, and he was waiting for her to turn around. And she never turned around, so he's like, I can't do this. I can't kill her face to face. So then Glenn's like, oh, I'll come up with another plan where we can get her to turn around type of thing. Yeah. So he told her he would give her a massage and to lay on the ground, and as he was massaging her, Justin bludgeoned her with a hammer and killed her, which is so fucking awful. I know. I heard it first that what Justin had done with the hammer didn't kill her. Yeah. And they thought it did, but they didn't. Yeah. So, they went into another room. I don't know if this was at the point where they were actually dismembering this diamonds or if they were in another room cleaning up from that. Mm-hmm. And Dawn actually heard her, like, still... Moving. Moving. Yeah. 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 And... Basically, they killed her because they wanted to prevent her from providing information that could lead to Glenn's arrest. Because yeah. he was like, oh, well, she knows about the bank account. Mm-hmm. In which case, like, why even get her involved in the first place? But that's yeah. why... That's why they got he her. He dated her. Yeah. yeah. And before dismembering her, Glenn showed Dawn the body and said, quote, Spirit says you get to know that... You get to know this isn't a dream. Like, what? Which... What does that even mean? That's gross. Yeah, and, like, Dawn, aren't you, like, thinking who the hell's this spirit? And, like, why? Why are they so disturbing? Why do they want me to see this type of thing? That's just, like, weird. And Taylor had convinced Selena, who actually knew him as Jordan. She didn't even know him as Glenn or Taylor. Yeah. He had a third name of Jordan when it came to Selena, and he convinced her to open bank accounts in her name for him. And that, that was, like, her purpose. For yeah. Him. That was his whole purpose of dating her yeah. was for this plan. And he told her that he was inheriting a large sum of money and needed to hide it from his ex-wife. So that's what she thought she was putting into her account. Right. But actually, what was going into her account was obviously that $100,000 that they tried to extort from the Steinmans. Just horrible. So... Selena's mother was actually house-sitting her house while she was supposed to be at Yosemite for the weekend. I assume it was a weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, so she said, yeah, I'll stay back and I'll, I'll house-sit your house. So Selena's mother was at her house, obviously, and Glenn decided that she needed to die as well. So they went to Selena's house and her 45-year-old mother, Jennifer, Jennifer Villarin, and her mother's boyfriend, or and longtime friend, he was a 54-year-old man named James Gable, was also there, and they shot both of them. James Gamble. Yeah. yeah. What did I say? Gable. Oh, like Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, it's James Gable. They were both murdered. Um, 
Glenn and Don went to Bishop's studio apartment in Marin County, California, where Jennifer was staying. And Jennifer had seen Taylor and also Glenn. So Jennifer saw Glenn and he thought that she could identify him. So he was like, she's got to go. I got to go. So fucked up. Yeah. So he murdered Jennifer and James um, by using the gun that was registered to his brother, Justin, which is just another fucked up thing. Like, he can't... Another way to drag his brother into it. Yeah, exactly. When Glenn ordered Dawn to kill in God's name, Dawn said, guardian angels encircled her. So she, like, considered it a blessing that she was killing for him. I don't understand how she, like, bought... Well, I mean, obviously she, uh, she had something... She had mental illness as well, or she had these things she was struggling with as well. But how she bought into all these plans of his when they're so awful. I don't know. I don't know. And now she's like, yeah, they guardian angels have encircled me. Right. And, and some articles say that Glenn and Don were both involved in the killings. But some say that Glenn actually shot the gun and Don just drove the getaway car. That's the one that I had heard mm-hmm. too. But I'm not. It could be either. There's yeah. just mixed information on that part. And I just want to point out, like, when we're making commentary about things, that's all speculation on our oh, yeah. part with, or us, our opinions, yeah. I should say, because that, we're telling you facts, but at the same time, we're commenting we're giving how we're opinions. feeling about yeah. it. Yeah. So. That's not like it's, like, fact or written in stone. It's just how we feel. That his plan fucking sucked. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you feel the same way. Yeah. Unless you're, like, one of his followers. Yeah. So the same morning that the bodies of Jennifer and James were found, authorities also learned of the missing elderly couple, the Steinmans. So I heard that um, the Steinmans' daughter hadn't heard from her parents in a couple days. So they went, she went and checked their house, and she saw that the minivan was, like, gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And so police went and searched um, the house, and they saw a note left on the table that Ivan had wrote that mentioned something about Glenn. So that kind of connected the two. And then later on, when they went to Glenn in Justin's apartment, they... Please excuse me while I check if I have dog poop on my shoe. (laughs) Oh, no. Does it smell like it? Oh, no. (laughs) Just... No. Okay. Okay, resume. <laughs> resume conversation. So later on, they actually went back to Taylor or to Glenn in Justin's house and they found as they were doing like the search of their house, um, they found papers of documents that said the Steinman's name on it. So that's when they made the connection. Wow. That they were like Yeah. Together. Yeah. So Fast forwarding another day to August 3rd, 2000, police discover Jennifer and James' bodies after a neighbor's call, and at this point, they still haven't put together that the missing elderly couple and Jennifer and James being found were connected at all. Right. So, after Jennifer and James passed away, they actually contacted Jennifer's sister and told her about what had happened, Mm -hmm. and... She said, you know, like, this is horrible. Have you told my niece yet? And that was Selena. And they were like, we actually can't find Selena. We have no idea where she's at. 
and they started putting two and two together, asking a bunch of questions, and found out that she was supposed to be in Yosemite that weekend with, with Glenn. No, with Jordan. Well, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> because her whole family knew him as Jordan. Right. And police obviously thought, well, this is weird. This Jordan name keeps coming up. Who is this? Yeah. But as far as her family knew, she was still just at the at Yosemite Park with him. Right. So, Dawn, Justin, and Glenn rent a jet ski to dispose of the body parts that were in duffel bags, also on August 3rd. Right. So, that's the same day that they found out that Jennifer and James' bodies. And another thing that I had heard that's really just disturbing about that is the way they did it with the jet skis. They made it look like they were just people running riding around having a good old time on jet skis so like if anyone had seen them they would have just thought oh those people are on jet skis like yeah yeah which is just with body parts in the back (laughs) yeah which is just disgusting yeah so august 7th 2000 four days later a man a man riding a jet ski in the Makalumne River in Sacramento County spotted a duffel bag in the water. This poor Never man. pull this a poor duffel man. bag out of the water. And he opened it. No. Yeah, he no, did. No, no, no. Just don't pull a fucking duffel like, bag out of the water. See. Yeah, it can't be good. Even if it's like soggy, wet clothes, it would still be disgusting, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So inside the duffel bag was body parts. And I had read that there were also rocks stones yeah. and stones yeah yeah and to try um, to, like, weigh it down. something some other kind of thing to weigh it down mm. yeah and the body parts in the back were from all different people so yeah. i had read in an article the first one they found um i want to say had a torso in it <gasps> but they the bags they found sorry we should have said graphic content yeah Sorry. <laughs> oh God. We'll 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 it's add okay. that in in the beginning. We'll add that in. <laughs> so the bags they had found, like there'd be, they were like, well, this is not right because there's, I guess they could tell there was an older man and then a younger woman and then an older woman. Uh, yeah. So. Ugh. Yeah. Mm. And. The bodies of the Steinmans and Selena Bishop were found dismembered in a total of nine black duffel bags that were recovered. Ugh. Which is... How did they get on the jet ski with nine duffel bags, though? One at a time. Oh, my God. I think. Or two at a time. Because I read that Dawn was basically, I guess, somewhere nearby on land mm. with the car. Yeah, I was handing and them off. Yeah. What, did they put pebbles in these bags? Like, how did they float? They must have just not put enough weight in them. Another one of Glenn's brilliant ideas. Well, I don't think all of them were floating. I think they had a dive for some of them because oh. I saw pictures of them pulling them out. Mm. But the obviously at like least one, one did. Right. That's probably the one that like Glenn was like, hmm. Let me <laughs> sprinkle some sand in Glenn's this one. like my the spirit is telling me that this one only requires a grain of sand. <laughs> <laughs> Should be fine. Yeah. So, the bags were fished out of the Sacramento-San Joaquin River Delta by divers. And the only reason I know how to say Joaquin is because of Joaquin Phoenix. I was like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) I would have said Jacqueline. Yeah, (laughs) Joaquin. And Glenn, Justin, and Dawn were all arrested on that same day. Justin and Dawn were arrested in their Concord home, and 
Glenn actually escaped a police car by using his body weight to push the window out. And he yeah. escaped. I heard it was, like, really hot, obviously. So, the police officer rolled down the window. So, like, they didn't suffocate in the car. And he escaped. <laughs> so, oh, my God. That's, that's like, re- the one... That's really bad. The one... Not... I shouldn't use the word smart. The one time he had a plan. And it worked. <laughs> and it worked. And Glenn fled to a nearby house where he threatened a woman and demanded money, a gun, and a car. And I had <laughs> actually also read that the... He, the first house he tried to run into, he put his fingers up like a gun. And was like, <laughs> and the person was the like, no. You. <laughs> yeah, the person was like, no. And something else happened. And then he went on, he moved on along. <laughs> he just like stuck him up. And he cut off his ponytail and then left through the back door, but was arrested 30 minutes after. So he escaped for 30 total minutes. Good job, Glenn. Yeah. You weirdo. And then investigators said that when they searched the Steinman's house, there was a note written by Ivan Steinman mentioning Glenn Helzer, like you had mentioned. Mm-hmm. And Glenn told police that Justin and Dawn were innocent. Quote, spirit said that I should not let them be in here. <laughs> I don't like how he says spirit said, spirit said. Yeah, I don't either. Like, why does the spirit tell you these things? And like, why do you word it like that every time? Spirit, spirit said. said. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> Crazy. So Um, that's, like, the ending of them. They got arrested that day, and that's when the craziness stops. Well, kind of. Kind of. No. No, no, it doesn't stop. No. (laughs) So the trials start June 16th of 2005. Dawn pleaded guilty. She actually got a deal um, by testifying against the Helzers, the Helzer brothers, for their prosecution to spare her life in exchange for a life, for a sentence of 38 years to life. Let so, me let me just add in real quick that that was not an easy feat. Yeah, for her. She did not turn on them right away. Yeah. They had to bring in people to literally like deprogram her basically. Yeah. And during the her testifying, that's when she gave up all of Justin's um, parts in the cult and all that he had done. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what got him his sentence. But they spared her life for her testifying against them. So she got 25 years to life for the murders and 12 years and 8 months for other charges related to the murders. She So she's becoming eligible for parole after serving at least 35 years and 9 months, which... <sighs> that is chilling. 2040. 2040 people. Oh my god, ew. I just got a weird pain in my neck. <laughs> so Justin pled not <laughs> a weird pain in your neck. Yeah, I don't know. I just like cramped up. <laughs> oh god. I'm Justin sweating. <laughs> me too. Justin pled not guilty by reason of insanity, which whatever, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna insert anything yet. He claimed that Glenn manipulated him into committing a murder by convincing Justin that he was doing a good thing, which he probably was manipulated into thinking that. I feel like this is my own personal opinion. I feel like maybe maybe Justin wasn't insane, but he was brainwashed for mm-hmm. the entirety of his life. Yeah. I don't know if that would be considered insanity. Would it be? Because you're technically under the like manipulation of someone else. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know where that falls. That's just. I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he did horrible things. Yeah. So mental health experts for defense, for his defense contended that he had a shared delusional disorder, quote-unquote, caught from his brother Glenn, which literally sounds like Foley Adieu. 
Sabina and Ursula. From episode two. Yes. If you haven't listened to it, go back! That's, like, one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Really? It was crazy. I thought it was so crazy. Wait, didn't we just mention... Oh, yeah! Wait, fully ado, and then we mentioned Sabina and Ursula's case before with the cup of tea. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's coming full circle. Uh. Yeah, so they thought that there was a shared delusional disorder between the two since they were so close. So defense psychiatrist said that he was in a quote-unquote symbiotic relationship with his brother who was more charismatic and successful and that he couldn't afford to lose the relationship, which literally sounds like fully do. Yeah. That's what it was. Well, he also, I mean, even more than that, like he thought his he viewed his brother as like almost god. a god. Yeah. So how and you were raised like that the entirety of your life. How do you really just change your mindset on that? I don't know. He actually believed that he was a soldier fighting a war against Satan, and that was part of the psychiatrist's testimony, which is really sad in a way. Like, I... Yeah. I don't feel bad for him because he's a a murderer, but at the same time, I do because he probably... None of this would have happened if it wasn't for Glenn. Yeah, obviously we're not psychiatrists or psychologists or whatever, but he probably never would have turned out that way. Yeah, exactly. Dr. Robert Dolgoff said, quote, after a lifetime of self-perceived failure, Justin felt that he had a significant role in the second coming of Christ in abolishing of evil. So he felt that this was, like, his thing. This was his time. To, Maybe like, prove he felt like, I don't know if his parents were still alive at this point, but, I mean, I assume they would be. But he was probably like, this is the time now where my mom's gonna, like... Like, I won't be in my brother's shadow anymore. Yeah. So sad, but not at the same time. Yeah. Um, so prosecutor Harold Jewett said Justin was a willing participant who knew what he did was wrong. This obviously could have been proved because he tried to conceal the crime. So that's being aware of what you did. Right. And a quote from this prosecutor was the most chilling quote, I should say quote, the most chilling aspect of this case is that it really happened. Yeah. Which is a completely accurate way to describe this whole thing and defense attorney daniel cook argued that glenn held influence over him and justin believed him to be a prophet as we mentioned in the end he was still found guilty and sentenced to death he attempted suicide this is just like just so disturbing again graphic warning content (laughs) graphic content warning i should say he attempted suicide by stabbing pens into his eyes which just made him blind in 2010 that's disgusting but clearly he was like suffering from all of this which as he should but at the same time he had nobody to like tell I feel him what like to do he anymore. did probably have remorse yeah. for what he did I think so yeah and he committed suicide by hanging on April 14th 2013 while in San Quentin yeah so yeah he wasn't in prison for a long time at all no and Glenn pled guilty to all charges and was sentenced to death and he took the blame for it all i'm assuming just because he wanted the notoriety for it all that's his narcissistic tendencies coming in again he wants everything everything. to be him yeah yeah and he remains on death row in san quentin prison disgusting yeah disgusting 
I really want to know about the people that dodged the bullet of this cult now. I know. <laughs> like, Carrie and that that peep, those, that those first couple that they were going to go to and they weren't home. We should try to find Carrie oh and get her she in She probably changed her name. I would have. Yeah, maybe. Maybe we could try. And, like, whatever happened to his wife and his daughters. I know. Luckily, his daughters weren't. I mean, they really didn't even know him at that point because he kind of just left them. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. so we, like always, will attach our sources to our Facebook page. Um, I This is a little bit different, but we put we listen to a podcast for some of our uh, facts here, and we have the link for them. We'll also put in, it was called Cults, and... They have some more, like, intricate details, too, yeah, if, if you, you give them listen. a listen. Yeah, it's only, like, 45 minutes, too. Mm-hmm. It's not long. And another, there was a 45-minute um, episode that I watched, too, on this cult, and it was from a show called Occult Crimes, and it was season one, episode one, what they talked about, the Children of Thunder. So, yeah. That's, that's it. That's the Children of Thunder. Not, see, now you know why I'm like, why the fuck was it called the Children of Thunder? <laughs> yeah. There was only Brazilian orphans. Well, it's because he had his two Blech. people on his side. Children. Yes, two children. Gross. I don't know. I mean, do we have anything positive to add at the end of all this? There are survivors that are probably thanking Jesus every day <laughs> that they are not associated with that man anymore. Yeah, luckily, I mean, destiny or whatever came into Got play with that one guy. Yeah. And then that woman was just like, as soon as she could get out, she fucking ran. <laughs> I would have escaped somehow. I mean, oh, God. I think I she was can't... afraid. I think I it, know. like, like when we covered the LeBaron I know. You cult. can't even put your, yourself in those shoes. Yeah. You really can't unless you're, unless you're the person that's there. Yeah. Insane. But Do you have anything yeah. else? No, I mean, happy holidays. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> oh, my God. This is a terrible Christmas episode. <laughs> oh, well. Um, I hope people, I hope everyone enjoyed time with friends and family. <laughs> Go talk to your family now. Yeah, Zoom call Christmas. if you can't be with people. Yeah. Uh, if you need support during the holiday season, maybe that's something we could, we should bring up, especially yeah. since this case ties into obviously severe mental illness. Right. During the holidays, obviously, a lot of people struggle with mental illness and... Especially now. Depression. Yeah, especially right now where you, you can't be surrounded by people like you normally would. Or maybe yeah. you don't have people in your life to be surrounded by. Mm-hmm. And just make sure you're getting the proper help. Right. We're need. here to talk, too. We're not the proper help, but you can <laughs> literally talk to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... We all struggle through mental health in the smallest ways and the biggest ways. So right. We have our own Everybody things. has their Maybe thing. we'll talk about that one episode. Yeah, maybe we will. In an episode, but Crazy. yeah, everyone has their own stuff they deal with and some worse than others, even though you really can't compare mental health. Yeah. And I feel like, though, make sure you're getting the proper help. If you need someone, reach out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's yeah. plenty of hotlines 
If you don't want to talk to us, there's plenty of hotlines out there you can really reach out to. You can star six seven us too if you want. So I use anonymous. I'll still answer. Star six seven. They would need Do our you? number. Oh yeah. <laughs> I forgot. Well, if you know me and you have yeah, my number and yeah. you don't want me to know who you are, star six seven. And you can get a little voice changer and everything. For some reason, I thought happy like, holidays. It's just like all my friends. <laughs> yeah. Order a voice changer for Christmas, and then you could star six seven. <laughs> Prank call us. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's a very important thing and just know you're not alone, especially if you feel alone during the holidays. Yes. And just surround yourself with people that make you happy. Yeah. Try to stay on the bright side even when things don't seem too bright right now. There is going to be an end. One day there will will be be a light at the end of the tunnel and we'll all be free. And to go have not, margaritas. And it's not the light shining from the cult leader, Glenn, <laughs> <laughs> summoning you into his Thank cult. God, it's not. Yeah, he's in San Quentin, so that's nice. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. All right. I think that's it. Yeah. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Make sure you give us some feedback. We love it. Hopefully you ordered some t-shirts for the holiday season. <laughs> and hopefully there's still some left. Yeah. If there is, you can still buy them. Yeah. All right. Till next time. Bye. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook